Have any of you ever been to uh, an African-American church in, in the U.S.? Anybody ever been there? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> and uh, one of the things I like about it is um, they really do uh, uh, respond to the pastor when he's preaching. You know, you know what I'm talking about. They go, amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. You know, they go, preach it, brother. And uh, if he's in trouble up there, they go, help him, Lord. <laughs> so I, I may need you to give me a little bit of help him, Lord, uh, today. Uh, so, you know, just a little bit of transparency. Uh, you get these weeks uh, when you wish you had more time to prepare. And um, I'm kind of at the point in my walk with God where I feel like I could get up and just open the Bible and, and preach on a lot of different passages and just kind of wing it. And I could, I could do that, uh, but I don't like to do that, not as a habit, because that could get very undisciplined and sloppy, and, and then I would really go along, um, because I wouldn't stop. Uh, and uh, so uh, I really felt led to uh, do this series, um, Paths of Freedom, because of the Set Free Retreat that we're doing in early November. And uh, when we do th things like the Set Free Retreat, we often do like to build up to it a little bit and just to kind of get it on people's minds that this is really important. Um, and I felt directed. I struggled all week. I did not know what I was going to preach on specifically uh, for this Sunday until Friday. And uh, that makes me really nervous. But I was seeking the Lord, and I was praying, and I was... Uh, Blaine, ever had that happen? Yeah. Okay. Rob? No, he's never had that happen. <laughs> How about your lectures at the college, uh, at the university? Yeah, yeah. sometimes feeling a little bit inadequate. And, um, but anyway, and so finally the Lord gave me what he, I believe he wants me to say today. Uh, so pray for me. Uh, just to begin with, uh, it's really been brought to me uh, recently that God, in, in a bigger way, I'd say, than um, probably at any point in my life, uh, is that God has created us uh, not only to know Him, but to live life as He intended. And the thing that's really been brought home to me is the life that God intended for us, and Jesus referred to it as the abundant life. Um, the life that God intended for us is a life that is to be lived according to his precepts, um, his commands. Uh, obeying God's commands is not just an Old Testament thing. Uh, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. But the thing that's really been brought home to me in full force is I don't think that most of us live this abundant life. I really don't. I think a lot of us are falling short of what uh, God really has for us. The word, one of the words for sin in the New Testament is hamartia. And what it means is it means to miss the mark. It, it's to fall short. And so that, that's not to put anybody on a guilt trip or anything. It's just to say, hey, you're missing out. If you're not living life the way God intended it, then you're missing out. And, and, and so Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, um, who was a Pharisee, you know, and he was a guy that knew a lot. He knew a lot about you know, the Bible they had then, the Torah, you know, the Jewish Torah and the Old Testament, but he was missing the life, and Jesus said, you need to be born again, and he didn't understand what that meant, but God wants us to live a life that's free from the tyranny of our fallen nature, uh, from anxiety, 
from fear, from, from hatred, unforgiveness, bitterness, and all these dark thoughts that we so often have. Um, and, and to live this abundant life, and, and I don't think we should let anybody um, sell us on this, and that is that it's a life that's free from trouble. I tell you right now, yeah, yeah you're, these two right here in the front, you know that it's not a life free from trouble. How many of you could say that you know that the Christian life is not a life free from trouble? You know, okay, by experience? Yes, exactly. But here's the thing, it is a life that is meant in spite of the trouble and sometimes because of the trouble, a life that is meant to be filled with joy, peace, hope, and contentment. So why is it that so many of us fail to enjoy this life? Well, it's what I've already said. The reason a lot of us don't live the abundant life is things just often don't pan out. Uh, stuff goes sideways on us. You know, sometimes we feel like the wheels are coming off. And life is a battle. Everybody say that. Life is a battle. Life is a battle. It is. But the Bible says the battle is the Lord's. We have got God with us. Um, if we will accept his help, his grace. So life is hard, and it's filled with things that wear us down. Really, life can wear you down physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And, and you know, okay, all right? So I could do the whole sermon just like this. And, just be, and sometimes that's a, that's a metaphor for life. Life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And, but sometimes we, we lose heart. Uh, we get discouraged. Um, and sometimes we can give in to apathy, to bitterness, to despair, and, and just kind of go, you know, I don't care anymore. And we just stop trying. But the Apostle Paul said, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Everybody say that with me. Fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Okay, so thank you. And here's the thing. There is victory. There is peace in the midst of the storm, right? There is. So even though the storm is raging, there is peace in the midst of the storm. It's a peace that passes understanding, the Bible says. There is joy in the midst of trial. First Peter chapter 1 in the Bible and James chapter 1 talks about joy in the midst of trial. And so this is not a cheap thrill we're talking about. This is not happiness that depends on what's happening it's joy that goes so much deeper. It's peace that goes so much farther. So there is more that the Lord has for us than I think many of us realize. A quality of life that is independent of what's going on around you. Um, but a lot of us have settled for less than God intended. I believe that we have. And that's not to fault you necessarily. I think sometimes it's just that we didn't know there was more. Um, why do we settle for mediocrity? Um, you've heard people say, you know, I just love being around new Christians because new Christians are just so full of life. I mean, they're just so excited about Jesus. They just want to tell everybody they're so naive, you know. <laughs> you know, and uh, we need a little bit of that spice in the church, you know. And the thing about it, though, is... We've sort of come to this conclusion that the longer we journey with Christ, that the more dull it gets, maybe. Or it just kind of gets to be maybe same old, same old, and so we just try to be good. We go to church and, you know, try not to get in trouble. You know, and hold on. 
hold on till Jesus comes, you know. And, and I think that's settling for mediocrity. Uh, or we might settle for the form of religion, just to think that religion is about going to church. And, you know, going to church can be fatal to your faith if it gives you a false sense of security. Going to church should be, you know, this is the time when I am opening my heart, my life to God and say, God, what more do you have for me? What more do you want from me? What more do you want to do in me and through me? That's what it needs to be. Uh, why do so many of us become complacent and self-satisfied? I think it's because maybe we thought there was nothing more. Or maybe we thought that there was no more for us. So today, I want to show you how you can begin to gain access to this abundant life. And uh, I want to talk about one of the secrets to living this kind of life that God intended, a life that is free. Um, I have to, I, I've done a lot of confessional stuff in my preaching, and uh, uh, I just have to be honest. Um, I would say uh, the last four years or more has been uh, the best uh, years of my Christian experience. Um, and, uh, but there was a time in my Christian life and even in my role as a pastor, and I've been a pastor since 1977, uh, when there was a disconnect between what I was preaching on Sunday and how I was living the rest of the week. And it doesn't mean I was a, a, being a hypocrite. It was just like it was easier to say things that might get an amen and might get people excited than to actually live it out in my own life. Um, I, I wasn't always experiencing this joy and this peace, um, if I was honest. And, and it's really interesting is that, you know, people, you know, who sit in church know. They can, they, I mean, I think they can tell if you're living it. I think, you know, people can go, there's something not quite, there's a disconnect. And I came to a place in my life where I said, Lord, I just, I, I want that before I get up to preach, you've preached it to me. Be, you know, and so when I get up to speak, and I, I think all of us as preachers should do this, that the sermon's been preached to us first. And so, um, and, and that's really what I pray by God's grace I can do each time I get up. Um, but I don't know that I was really experiencing the abundant life that God really had for me. I heard about uh, like doctrines like entire sanctification, uh, holiness, living holy, and that you can be uh, delivered from the power of sin in your life. But yet, I, like many Christians and many Christian pastors and Nazarene pastors, I struggled. Um, I wasn't really experiencing, to be honest. Um, I believed the doctrines. I had the head knowledge. Um, but... I didn't really have intimacy with the Holy Spirit, really. The Holy Spirit was the third person of the Trinity. You know, I, I, it was more about the Father and the Son, and, and we, but we need all three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I didn't really know not only God with me, but God in me. I, I don't think I knew Him as a person, and it, like in relationship. And... So I believed God in his word, but I didn't really love God. I want to ask you a question today. Do you really love him? Luke chapter 7, Jesus said, whoever has been forgiven much loves 
much. When you know how much God loves you, you love him in return, and you can't help but love everybody around you. So maybe you can identify with my experience. Um, it's easy to substitute religion for God. And like I said, going to church can be fatal to your faith if you're not careful. It's easy to get, it's kind of like God says, I've got this gift, this gift of life, the gift of the Holy Spirit who can live in you and empower you to live life uh, the way it was intended to be lived. Um, and to give life to all those around you, like it's contagious. God says there's this gift called the Holy Spirit who brings life to you and light out of darkness. And this is the gift, is the Holy Spirit and his life that he brings. But what we often do is we focus on the gift wrapping. And it's like we focus on, like so church in a sense can be like the wrapping around the gift. And it's, it's, it's not just about church as we often understand it. We can get so comfortable inside church culture that we forget where we came from. We can forget how loved we are by God to bring us to this place. Um, so sometimes we just have to be jarred back to reality. Last week, as you heard, we had a, a group called Teen Challenge here. And Teen Challenge was begun by... Uh, David Wilkerson, back in the 1950s or whatever, in New York City, he was a, he was a, a pastor. And, uh, and then what happened is that he really had this burden to get uh, kids off the street and to get people free of drug addiction and all that kind of stuff. And so last week we heard uh, three testimonies, one on a video, two in person, about uh, three men who were delivered from, from drug, drug addiction. And so I go, there but for the grace of God go I. I've never been addicted to drugs, at least not the, the common drugs that we think about. I've never been addicted to drugs. I, I, I grew up during the 60s, you know, the hippie counterculture. I, I had, you know, like, you know, LSD and all that kind of stuff all around me. But for some reason, God's grace and his hand was upon me, and I didn't get into that. But what we have to be reminded of, when we observed what we saw last week and what we heard from these men who were delivered from addiction, and brought into faith uh, with Jesus Christ, um, is all of us came to God broken. We, we all came, when we came to God, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. We all came to God broken. And, and even if I don't feel broken now, I have to remember that there might be parts of my life that are broken. There might be pieces of me that are still broken and still need to be healed. And so how easily we forget when we get, you know, inside the church culture. So I want us to look into a passage of Scripture that is referenced a lot in our church. I've never preached on this passage, uh, but I'm going to today and briefly. And um, I'm trying to figure out which water bottle is mine. Okay, it doesn't matter. Anyway, there's nothing floating in there. Now there is. Okay. Uh, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And I just want us to look at this. So Jesus, uh, you know, he ran into trouble with the Pharisees all the time, the, the, the religious folk who thought they knew better than everybody else. And he said to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable, two men went up to the temple to pray. So they went to church to pray. One was a Pharisee uh, and the other 
a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evil doers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. And then it goes on. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast, beat his chest in anguish. And he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified, acquitted, set free before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And all the people said, amen. So the Pharisee here in Luke 18, the story that Jesus told here, didn't think that he needed to humble himself. He appeared to think that he had it all together. And Jesus actually says in the New American Standard translation of what I just read, this is how it says. It says, the Pharisee stood and was praying to himself. That was, that's in the Greek. That's in the original language. He was praying to himself. So basically his prayer was empty. He was, it was just an empty boast. Um, and he listed his spiritual accomplishments. You know, I fast and I tithe and, you know, all this. And he was boasting and he made kind of an oblique swipe at those he thought less worthy. I'm not like this worm, this piece of dirt over here. And it's like he was satisfied with who he had become. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not satisfied with who I've become. I'm really not. And uh, I think that, you know, the Apostle Paul talks about being content in any and every situation. He wasn't talking about being self-satisfied. Um, to be satisfied with who we've become, it, it's kind of like they say, you know, when they, 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 uh, hockey players get into the NHL, sometimes they lose their hunger. You know what I'm saying? And so watching the level down from that is probably more exciting because they're still hungry and they're still humble because they haven't arrived yet and they don't think they've arrived yet. And so... This Pharisee kind of, maybe he thought, I've progressed far enough on my pilgrimage. I've journeyed far enough. I kind of like where I'm at. So he didn't think he needed to move further down the road in his walk with God. So he settled where he was. And sure, he might have gotten more knowledge. He might have studied. But it was really more of an intellectual pursuit, perhaps. Now, you contrast that with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament... What was he before he became a Christian? He was a Pharisee. He was just like this guy. So let's not be too hard on the Pharisee because God might have plans for this Pharisee in the story. If, in fact, that story is a true story, maybe Jesus was just using it as an example. But here's the point. Paul was a Pharisee. And then after he had become a Christian, how did he refer to himself? A couple of things. He was one who said that we are daughters and sons of God. One of his favorite things to say about us as Christians is that we're daughters and we're sons of God. We're all children of God. He would say that. And yet he never ever called himself a son of God. He called himself a doulos, a slave. He just didn't feel worthy. 
you know. And then he called himself the least of the saints and the least of all the apostles because he said, I persecuted God's church. I don't feel worthy. The only reason I could stand here today and say that I'm a Christian is because of God's mercy. That's it. He'd never forgotten. And so he doesn't sound like someone who's satisfied with where he was or that he's complacent. And, and, and Paul had stayed humble. He said, I'm not interested in having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but I'm interested in the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. But Paul also stayed hungry. He would say in Philippians chapter 3, as he talked about the Christian life, he said, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. What did he say? I press on. This is the idea of journey. I'm pressing on. I'm pressing forward to take hold of that for which I was taken hold of by Christ Jesus. And then he says, forgetting what is behind all my accomplishments, all my accolades, all my failures as well, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so what he's saying is, I'm not content. I'm not self-satisfied. He was still humble. He considered himself the least. He was only saved by the grace and the mercy of God. And he was still hungry. And he says, I haven't arrived yet, but I'm pressing forward. That's the Christian life right there. Is, um, that's what God wants for all of us. So the Pharisee in Jesus' story had become puffed up and self-righteous. And I think in, he'd lost his soul. In the process, how easy it is for us to become blind to our own faults and think that it's all about these other people who need to get straightened out. Because you know what? We're all broken, at least in some places in our lives. We all have brokenness. We're all sinners saved by grace. So the snare for us who go to church is... Um, that we just get too comfortable. And I think it's the role of pastors to, to help us to, to enter into this, the fullness of this abundant life that God has. And don't stop. You know what? It's okay to stop and take a break and a rest. There are seasons of life. It is, right? There's times I've said to people, you need to take a step back. You need a hiatus. Take care of stuff in your life. But then that's not to be permanent. That's not to be permanent. Keep pressing forward. Um, and so the snare for so many of us is sometimes our success and our victories trip us up and we start to believe that we can take credit for the grace of God in our lives. Um, and, or we deceive ourselves with a false sense of security that you know, going to church is enough because it isn't. Now you contrast the Pharisee with the tax collector and what do you see with the tax collector? And we'll just show that second slide there, Matt, if you don't mind. Notice how the Pharisee stood up. He was standing, and there's nothing wrong to pray standing with your arms like this, looking up to heaven. Nothing wrong with that. But the tax collector stood at a distance. Why did he stand at a distance? He didn't feel worthy. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. 
He didn't feel worthy. You know when you did something bad and you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar? You know, you're looking down because so, you feel so ashamed. But he says he beat his breast. He was in anguish. He's like, God, you know, and he says all he could say, what, what, a, what a beautiful flowery prayer that is, eh? God have mercy on me, a sinner. That is one of the most eloquent prayers you could ever pray right there. Isn't that beautiful? Because it came from a real authentic place in his life. And Jesus said that he went home justified before God. All he could do is utter a plea for mercy. So last Sunday when we had Teen Challenge here, it was kind of interesting because one of the dangers is that we celebrate what God did in their lives and we say, wow, they were so broken. And look at them now. and They're on this journey and they're pressing on. But then we might forget, even while we're celebrating that, and all heaven is celebrating that, that, that maybe we're broken too. And maybe there's places of brokenness in our lives that need to be healed, things we need to be delivered from. So why does this matter, what I'm talking about? Because no matter how long you've been on the Christian journey, I want to say to you today, God is not done with you yet. Can we just say, would you mind just saying that with me? God is not done with me yet. God is not done with me yet. You're not done yet. You know, think of cooking or baking or something. You're not, you're, <laughs> you're not done yet. Are you done? You're half-baked? Okay. <laughs> He's half-baked. Pastor Blaine is half-baked. But you know what? I like that because he's saying, I'm not done. God isn't done with me. And when I say God isn't done with me yet, it means he's not done what he wants to do in me, and he's not done with what he wants to do through me. So the Pharisee thought he had arrived, but the tax collector knew he had a long way to go. Um, That's why he stood at a distance, because he just didn't feel worthy. And so look at this, the last slide here, where he says, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified, acquitted before God, declared innocent before God. You know, do you know who Jesus loves? (laughs) Even me. He loves broken people. Jesus loves broken people who know they're broken, who know they're broken. You know, when Jesus looked at the crowds that came to hear him, he had compassion on them because they were lost like sheep without a shepherd. Remember that? Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 51, the psalm that King David wrote after he had repented of committing adultery with Bathsheba, another man's wife. And he said, in, in a spirit of brokenness, he said, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. God loves broken people who know they're broken. And as you're sitting here, you might be thinking, because I thought it even when I was writing this, but doesn't God also love those of us who aren't broken, who've been made whole? Yeah, but he loves us in a different way. I mean, I think you could agree that there's different forms and shapes that our love 
takes. Um, first of all, all of us are still broken somewhere. Okay, so God loves broken people. Um, I remember I had Dr. Kenneth Grider as a professor. He was a very eccentric professor. Um, anyway, I had him as a professor in seminary in Kansas City, Kansas, Missouri. And um, he talked a lot about holiness and about entire sanctification and being delivered from the power of sin in your life. And he said, you know, it is possible. You can live in victory over sin in your life. You don't have to be defeated by sin in your life. Every you know, thought, word, and deed every day and be living a defeated Christian life. You can live in victory over sin, in dominion over sin. And he says, but... He says, we all have scars. And he, he had a funny way of saying the word scars. We all have scars. And, uh, you know, and scars are the things that come from like childhood abuse, being bullied, all the, 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 the shame and, and the guilt that we sometimes live with. He said, but sometimes there's memories and there's painful memories and there's scars in our lives. And sometimes we, we hide these scars. So um, I know that... Uh, you know, I could, if, I had, if I have scars here on my arm, I could hide them with my shirt. We, we're good at hiding our scars. We're good at hiding our shame. Uh, so, of course, God loves you if you don't feel broken. But, you know, and even if you're a really whole person, uh, God loves you in a different way. The story of the prodigal son, there was an older brother who stayed home, and never, ever rebelled or went astray. There was the younger brother who took his inheritance and he wrecked his life. He ruined everything. He took advantage of his father's kindness. Finally, when the younger brother, whom we call the prodigal son, finally when he had his spiritual awakening and he came to his senses, he decides to return home. And uh, the father celebrates that his son who was blind could now see. His son who was lost was now found, and he threw a great feast. They had a big party for him. But what was the attitude of the older brother? How dare you, father? I have served you faithfully all these years. You never threw a feast like that for me. I feel like chopped liver. You know, like, and, and he said, you, this, this, low-life brother of mine. Look what you did for him. And his father just couldn't make him understand. And I, I, do, I understand the older brother and why he would feel, you know, take umbrage with the father. You know, but I... The fact is, the father still loved the older brother, but he loved him differently than the younger brother. You know, it's like if you got three children and one of them has some physical you know, infirmity or disability, you love that child a little bit differently than you love the others. That's all. But God still loves. He loves those who are broken. Broken and know that they're broken. So there's hope for Pharisees, for the religious. But this is the secret to living the abundant life that I wanted to talk about. And this isn't the only thing. But I think it's the first thing, and that is stay humble and stay hungry. I, I, and humility is a, is a choice. We need to put ourselves into humble situations. If you're struggling with humility, I understand. Um, what did C.S. Lewis 
say is the chief of all sins, the worst of all sins? He said, pride. He said, pride leads to all other sins. So, I choose humility. But you say, I don't feel humble. I feel like I'm pretty good stuff. Well, here's what you do. Put yourself into a situation where you're going to be humbled. Act. When you do something like, okay, for instance, if you go to a set-free retreat, you will feel some humility because you're going to be reminded of, oh, I have a long ways to go. We put people into little groups, and nobody's forced to say anything, but you get a chance to say, I'm struggling with this, and people pray for each other. We do that. But Christians aren't used to that. We don't want people to know. But boy, is there ever freedom in confession. Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Healed. You can't get the more if you're, just, if you're afraid to put yourself into that situation where you can be healed. Uh, as a pastor, you know, you hear me talk about discipleship and, and, and all of that um, and, and, and renewal, and renewal is ongoing. It's something like I have to be renewed day by day. That's what the Bible says, to be renewed. It's called evergreening. You know, you're just being renewed every day by day, by day you know. And I do that by spending time with God in the morning and through the day and in prayer. Uh, I don't want to become complacent, but I need to stay humble. I've got to put myself into humble situations. Um, if, I, if I go to a prayer meeting and I go, I'm not, I'm not used to being in a prayer meeting. I, I'm really nervous about being in a group of people who pray. Humble yourself and be hungry. You know, nobody's going to make you say anything you don't want to say, but just be there because you know what I found? As I went to prayer meetings, I learned how to pray. I finally took little baby steps. But I, I believe that when you pray with God's people, you're going to start to, you're going to grow through that fellowship. So here's the thing. People will say, you know, I, I don't need, I got God. It's me and God. Me and God, we got this. Wrong. I will say wrong. It isn't just you and God. It's you and God's people. The body of Christ. One member cannot say to another member of the body, I do not need you. We all need each other. Reuben Welsh wrote a book about that years ago. We all need each other. God has ordained that is through his people and the interaction and the fellowship that we have and the relationships that we have and confessing our sins one to another and, you know, and just being vulnerable and being real and authentic and humbling ourselves before one another that we grow. And so you want this abundant life? God has more for you. And so you know what? You can say, I don't feel broken right now. My life's pretty good. Yeah, but, but that's until something goes wrong. You know, all the wealth and all the material stuff, you know, and our good health, that's fine. But what are you going to hold on to when everything comes apart? Because I think we get anesthetized and numbed through the stuff that we surround ourselves with. A false sense of security. So I just want the best for all of us, for myself and for all of us. So let me just end with this. Do you want, and I would just like us to bow our heads in prayer if we could. As we pray, do you want all that God has for you? Answer that question just to yourself. Say, Lord, 
could you say, Lord, I want all that you have for me. And I am willing to do whatever it takes by your grace to enter into this abundant life that you have in store for me. Would you be willing to identify yourself with the humble tax collector and say, God, I know that there are broken places in my life and I need healing in those places. Do you recognize right now that you stand or fall only on the mercy of God? Would you be willing to take part in anything that will help you grow? Maybe you're not involved in a small group that you want to be, but maybe, you've, maybe you're just nervous about it. Would you take a step of faith and be willing to be vulnerable and humble yourself so you can grow? Would you be willing to do those things that the church offers that can help you to deepen in your faith and to move further in your journey of faith? Because really, the point of this story in Luke chapter 18 about the Pharisee and the tax collector is this. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't want God opposed to me. I don't want to be proud. I don't want to deceive myself into thinking I've got it all together. I don't need anything else. I'm good the way I am. No. God gives grace to the humble. I want more grace. More grace. So this week... As there has about, I would just like to encourage you to, would you, in your time of prayer today or tomorrow, would you just do an inventory of your life and say, Lord, do you see me more like the Pharisee or the tax collector? And Lord, what steps do I need to take in my journey of faith? Will you decide right now to say, Lord, I want to be fully aware and fully engaged and open to the transforming power of your Holy Spirit? Because we can go through life sleepwalking, unaware that all around us is the presence of God and that his the power of the Holy Spirit is available to us by faith. But would you say, Lord, help me to be more engaged. Father, when I come to church, help me, Lord, not just to sit and tune out, but to sit and listen to what you want to say during those times of worship, those times of fellowship, during the preaching. Lord, help me to be open and available to your Holy Spirit's influence in my life. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Lord.
And when I go to Bible study, when I go to small group, when I go to a prayer meeting, if I go to a set free retreat or a hearing God class, Lord, I want to be fully engaged because I know I will get out of it what I put into it. And the more that I get out of it, the more I will have to give to others. So Lord, do a work in me. I renew my commitment and my vow to you, Lord, to live in a way that is worthy of the Lord and worthy of my calling. In Jesus' name, amen.